mindfulness mode. We as humans have endless opportunity to practice. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show today. And we often talk about water, as you know, and today is one of those days because we're talking about not only water, but we're talking about the water of the river. And well, think about this, river logic. Isn't it only logical that we we would be talking about the water in the river and how it relates to mindfulness? I'm here with the author of the book, River Logic, and she is an expert in helping people to reach a body-mind connection, help people with emotional intelligence. She's an expert in neuroscience and cross-cultural communication. She can help leaders tackle tough conversations. She's someone who has worked in this space for a long time and has so much expertise. I'm really excited to be talking to her today. I'm here today with Denise Blanc. Denise, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I am in mindfulness mode, Bruce. That's so great. Denise, what does mindfulness mean to you? I I keep going back to the definition from John Kabat-Zinn, which is, you know, choosing to be where you are and paying attention on purpose without judgment. Yes. And that's you know it doesn't need to be any more than that that's what it is that's what mindfulness is to me as well and i'm just so excited to have an opportunity to talk to you because i know you've shared so much in your new book and when i first looked at the title i thought "Hmm, that's just so interesting river logic and the subtitle tools to transform resistance and create flow in all of our relationships and you know, then I started thinking about it more and reading a little bit more about you. And I thought that is a brilliant way to brand yourself. Tell us about that moment when you made the decision to use River Logic as your brand. Well, thanks for asking that question, Bruce. I often get asked that question. I heard a talk from the Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron a long time ago. And she was talking about how we sometimes operate with rock logic, where we get really rigid and righteous, unwilling to kind of move in our position, unwilling to listen to other perspectives. And then she contrasted it with how we can become like water logic, is what she was saying, where we're more fluid and adaptable and willing to listen across differences. And it was like, I don't know. It was almost like one of those little moments of lightning flash kind of thing where I went, that is brilliant. And I was just starting to come up with a domain name for my newly developed consulting firm. And so I was playing around with words and I came upon River Logic, which was available. And so then I, I named my business River Logic Partners. And my very first coach who said, I love the name, Denise, tell me what it means. So I spent 10 years really uh, writing blogs, unpacking what does River Logic mean to me and mean to my work? You know, how is it that people can shift from being rigid to being more fluid? 
And when does it happen? What are the elements that are involved? And so 25 blog, blogs later, you know, I just thought, well, I think I have a book. And so it wasn't an easy thing, six years of writing or five and a half, but uh, that that's really the the antecedents of the the name. And I have to say that all these years later, I'm still in love with it. I'm in love with it too. I think it's so, so excellent. And I want to ask you after all this time of coaching and helping people and helping people with their transitions, looking back, how does it feel to know that you've had all of this beautiful experience helping people? Well, it's, I mean, I feel like it's a process. It's always a process. It's a process personally. It's a process professionally. Like this is, there's no, um, I guess that's, you know, the thing about the river that I keep learning, it's like, you're on it, you know, and sometimes you're in the rapids and I've really begun to use river words with people because I do conflict work. And mm -hmm. when we can say we're in the rapids right now, that's really different than just saying, wow, this is a conflict. This is a mm -hmm. scary conflict. So I feel like it's a process. You know, I'm always evolving and um, and learning. And my desire is to just like stay in the river. You know, really, it's almost like I created a technology that I have to keep using. Why do you feel like it's more important than ever for leaders to embrace the type of teaching that you do the, to improve their communication skills? Well, we are at a time, it, it's been going on for quite a while, but inside organizations, there's so much change. There's so much diversity and there's no real maps anymore. Like what worked in the past does not work now. So if we don't have tools, different kinds of tools, um, it's really hard to manage. And so I have been really looking at the, the kinds of power, like there's hard power, and I'm calling the, the river logic tools soft power, you know, where we learn to be more receptive, generative, we are willing to let go, we learn how to listen with openness, those are those are qualities that are really needed inside organizations right now. Well, you used a lot of personal stories in your book, River Logic. Can you share a story with us now that uh, has been impactful to your readers? Well, one of the things um, that I have been a facilitator for a lot of years, and if you've ever done group work, um, <laughs> groups are not always willing to go with you where you want to go. I had a very high stakes training. Um, this was a bunch of years ago. Um, senior senior leaders, some people had flown in for the training. It was three days. And at the very beginning of this training, like really morning day one, as I'm sharing the agenda, the group was not with me. I mean, really actively disengaged. And I was going through a lot of um, that kind of activation that happens. Like it felt like mutiny, you know, they were on yes. their phones, they were. And 
I, I, I'm looking back with what I know now and I had some skills and I was able to take a break and do some work with my nervous system. I really put it in practice. You know, I did some really, I do this four, seven, eight Andrew Weil breath technique. I was really calming down my nervous system. And all of a sudden, as I was quieting down, I started wondering I'm a skilled facilitator, something like this has never happened. What's going on with them? Them, you know, instead of me, you know, when you're nervous and you're anxious, it's all about me. What's going on? I started opening up to curiosity and I went back into the room, which was a big deal to do. And I sat down and I just looked out at them and I asked them, what's going on? And there was an eruption. They the 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 program I was developing was not something they were expecting, nor did they want. What happened is I ended up going with them, which is mm-hmm. one of the things that I talk about in the book. How do we go with instead of fight against? Mm-hmm. And it really shifted the day, the three days. The group was with me, but it took a lot. It took being able to stand in kind of the unknown, and it was scary. So um, that ability of learning how to be with and how to work with the elements in the room instead of fight against them is really part of some of the things that I talk about in River Logic. Well, I can resonate with that experience. I have done hundreds and hundreds of live presentations and trainings, and 99% of them went really, really well. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, but then I can think back to one, just as you've described, where it was like, oh man, they weren't with me. Like, what's this about? <laughs> and that's a pretty scary feeling when you're the when you're the presenter and there's a room full of people. I think there are around 300 at that time for that particular one. And uh, yeah, it can be pretty pretty scary. So you do do you do po- personal coaching as well? Yes. Yes. So I do emotional intelligence coaching. So I'm, that's my, my lens that I work Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Usually with leaders. Right. Right. So you're still doing a lot of um, group work, like presentations to companies and that kind of thing. Is that true? Yes, I am doing, I mean, I've been writing this book, so that's been a sort of like a hibernating period. I'm coming out of hibernation and yeah. yes. A lot and- of us are, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it sounds like it's been quite a project to put the book together and to get it to this point. So tell us about this. Tell us about the vulnerability of writing a book and putting it out there into the world. Well, you and I were just talking a few minutes ago and it it's, it's a highly vulnerable thing to be yeah. Um, to be honest, you know, and authentic, when I was setting, when I was deciding to write this book, I, I said to myself, I want the book to be small and pithy. I want it to be my voice. I want it to be fully authentic and, and to share with who knows how many people like issues where maybe you, you're not super proud of the way you behaved which I'm telling some real stories, but this, the, they're often stories of recovery. 
and repair. Mm -hmm. Like this is what happened. And, and using a lot of the tools of mindfulness, this is what I was able to do, you know, losing it at the airport with a, with an attendant because she wouldn't let me on my, on the plane, losing it. And I tell the story, you know, just, I, because I do a lot of personal work, I was tracking what was going on. I looked down at one of my hands and it was in a fist. And I, I mean, the other hand was holding a book and it was this moment where I was the, you know, all the signs of like activation and fight or flight was going on. But I looked down, I'm seeing my hand in a fist. I see the other hand holding the book and the book I happened to be holding was The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. So there I was, you know, just in this really ironic situation. And I got it. I was able to make the shift and really look at the attendant and sort of say, wow, you have a hard job, don't you? And she softened. I softened. She, you know, I didn't get on the plane, but everything shifted. Yeah. And so I'm able to tell that story, even though it's embarrassing, right? Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a very challenging moment when that happened. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I can resonate with that as well. So how does nature play a role in the work you do? And I know river logic, obviously the river is, is a major component, but tell us in your words. Well, I have spent a lot of time looking at qualities of the river. I mean, I've become like a a lover of rivers in a way that, you know, every vacation I go, I spend time at rivers now and I swim in rivers. I, but I have really um, begun to see, I mean, first of all, just like a river that's alive is a whole, it's a glorious thing to see where the, where the movement and the freedom of the water, you know, and and all the ecosystem around it is in balance. And if you ever go to a situation where there is, you know, a stagnant creek, like I was standing, I was, I did, a, was in a meditation class and I went to this little creek where it was just like filled with mosquitoes and it was putrid and there's like no movement. There's no birds, there's no life, there's no... You know, you begin to see the the stakes of of you know damming our rivers and you know what is available when things move and what happens when they don't move. And so I've really begun to you know make parallels to our us as humans um, around those same issues. You know what happens when we're dammed up and polluted, things get stagnant. It's like disease festers, self-care is not available. What happens when we learn skills to open and bring, you know, movement and, you know, health and, you know, so it's, 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 I go back and forth from nature to personal. And I feel like there's just, you know, there's just so many rich metaphors that are available um, confluence, I use that word in my book. Confluence is when two rivers come together and they form a solid stream. And I use that word um, as as a communicator, like listener and speaker, when they can come together, there's confluence and there we can become more one 
one stream of deeper understanding. So the nature words have become really important words for me in, in my work. Wow, that's that's a great word to use. It really is. Um, I want to ask you, what is the most memorable river that you've found yourself swimming in? Well, I have I have like a, a a yearly sojourn that I go to the Yuba River um, near Grass Valley in California, and that's kind of where uh, I go every year on my birthday. Oh. And I um, I sort of like began studying rivers there. That's kind of my my place where I started looking at the way water moves and how water is always finding openings going through the cracks or around mm-hmm. the rock or if it goes, it can go through the rock. And it, it really got me thinking about so many of the elements that I wanted to write about in my book. So that's, um, yeah, I, I have a trip scheduled. I'm, I, I'm not sure exactly when, but I'm planning on going to the Grand Canyon for 16 days. And I, I think it's going to be one of those like epic experiences. Yeah. I think it will be. Yeah, it was epic when I went to the Grand Canyon. It was, I've only been there once, but I would definitely describe it as epic. It was incredibly exciting. I uh, had a dream 11 years ago and I remember waking up and I was like, oh my gosh, it was so real. And I was sitting in this office and I looked out the window and there was a ravine and it was going way down and down at the bottom of the ravine was a river. And I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be amazing to have an office where I can look out the window and and see that view and, and it could be on a ravine like that. And wow. And then um, some interesting things happened. And three years later, I ended up with a property and at the back of the property was this building and I'm like, oh, this, oh, there's a ravine here at the back of this building. And it was just like a space that had been used for storage, like a warehouse. And anyway, in 2015, I ended up hiring someone who made that into my studio. And now I have this studio that's overlooking this ravine with the river at the bottom. And I often go down and walk on the path along the river and watch the river. And I mean, and I often think like that was just incredible. And I suppose many would say I manifested it, but it definitely happened. And it was incredible because there's nothing like the nature, you know, being able to look out the window and be right there, see all those trees and nature and see the river down at the bottom. It's an incredible feeling to know that it's right there. Powerful, Bruce. It, it is manifestation and some, you know, I, I keep using the word magical in my life, you know, magic. And I'm starting to think about river magic, you know, like yeah. things happen all the time, but we're, most of us are missing it. Yeah. Most of us are quick to push that away. I better not say that. I better not even think it because people will think, oh, you're a little bit off. That's a little bit too woo-woo. You know, you better not be thinking that way. And and yet, if we allow ourselves to think that way, we'll realize that we're surrounded by manifestations. We're surrounded by a magical world and a magical life. Wouldn't you agree? 
I would. And that word allow is such an important word. Yeah. It's so not I'm I'm wanting to bring that word into my life more like, you know, each year I come up with a word for the year. Mm-hmm. So the, my word for the year is allow. And <laughs> and what that's really different than the kind of tenacity. Like it's good to make things happen. I have that capacity. But what it would be like to allow things to happen. You know, in there's that language in Chinese um martial arts where they talk about wu wei. Have you heard that word? Yes, I have. Effortless effort. Yeah. So that is intriguing to me now. I think that's really important to move toward that place of being more effortless. Because a lot of us in our society, I think we we just keep pushing and trying and pushing and trying to make things happen, trying to make things look the way we think they should be looking. And yet, if we can allow it to be then many times we can be much happier and be much more grounded. Now, you mentioned that you were becoming a mosaic artist. I'd like you to tell us about that. Well, I I have always loved mosaics. Wherever I go, you know, you see them in cities, you know. I was just in Berkeley. um, I was just like all these mosaics on 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 Shattuck Avenue, you know, it's just gorgeous. And I had a long time ago, I had a garage sale and somebody bought a cracked pot I had. It was like a deep blue, cobalt blue. And she had a hammer in her purse, shook her hammer out and she put it the 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 pot in a bag and she smashed it. And I go, what are you doing? She said, oh, I do mosaics. I'm always looking. I wanted to see how it breaks. And that was like, wow, you know, I just, (laughs) I love that concept of taking things, you know, that are cracked and broken and making something beautiful. And so I started taking classes, you know, I've taken lots of different classes and I've been making pots and stepping stones and all kinds of things. Um, And it's, it's really one of those forgiving art forms, I would Mm -hmm. say, Um, you could do it as a fine craftsman or you could do it a little rougher, but it's, it's, there's something really, I think kind of amazing about taking things that are broken and cracked and putting them together into something that you could call art. That's really interesting. And, and, you know, interesting how that dovetails with the work you do in communications, because, You know, many times we want to communicate, we are trying, we're pushing, but actually our communication style is broken. We don't really know how to go about it. And you come along and help us with that. Do you feel as though that's a parallel? Yeah, maybe. I had never really thought about it, but I guess I don't even think of things as, I mean, everybody's broken in Mm -hmm. a certain way, right? Everyone's cracks. And, and one of the things that I think that is so hard for a lot of people is this kind of like fear of how to say something. Will I say it right? So I better not say anything or, or the people who don't care and they just let it blast. Um, I personally feel like we need to be in rooms. In fact, I, 
right before this, I was just in a conversation about this very same thing, where it was a group of people who are wanting to learn how to talk to each other. They're a global team. And they're asking me and this, my colleague, if we can help them around diversity issues. And it's like, they didn't really want a class. They kept saying, you know, we've taught, my friend Janet and I have taught a number of classes, but they want to be in conversation. And even in this conversation, just a few minutes ago, there was an ouch. Somebody said something that had unintended consequences somebody and somebody was reacting and she wasn't going to say it but she did and it was beautiful because in that moment we could talk about intention versus impact and how important it is to understand the impact we have and we won't unless we talk about it and it's oftentimes there's a lot of ouches you know we step on someone's toes but that's how we learn yeah that is how we learn yeah. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in that space for a long time. And I'm wondering if you have a story you can share with us about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. I I was thinking about that. Um, I have a coaching client who came to me or he was brought to me because he has issues. I, it might be called bullying or he has very little ability to um, react. I mean, he, to respond, he reacts. And what, he, he, he comes across kind of as a bully with people who are his subservience, you know, whether it's a staff or students or, and I was just starting to work with him and he did it to me. I had asked him to do a number of things um, as part of our coaching agreement. And I asked him a lot to do, and he's a busy guy. And what I got back was intense. You know, it was, you know, what he does. And I, I mean, this is fairly recent. First of all, I was thinking, I just blew it with a coaching client. Um, And I had to work with myself. So when you talk about mindfulness, um, what I do, I swim. So I went swimming and, you know, intense exercise is often sometimes one thing I will do when I'm feeling it. And then I had to talk to myself and that. And once I started talking to myself and kind of calming down, I went, that was kind of amazing that this happened. If I'm his coach, I got an experience of it. Yes. And so we were able to talk about it in our next session, you know, from a more me being present and grounded and having apologized to him because I realized I was asking a lot, but also for him to see. I asked him, I said, what was your intention in what you said to me in that email? He said, well, it was very unfair what you were doing. And I said, would you want and would you like to know what the impact of he said, I guess. And so I said, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably a nine mm-hmm. for me. And so it actually began a real conversation. I mean, I think that was the moment he started to trust me. Right. But I mean, those are skills that I now have that I didn't have probably, you know, I know I didn't have when I was young. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, fascinating story. Wow. I'm sure he's learned a lot from that experience and and probably will in the next period of time. 
Yeah. I want to ask you five quick answer questions about this topic. And so just 30 second answers are perfect. So the first question, Denise, is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence to you? Well, I listen to Tara Brock for meditations all the time. I mean, really, I when I'm having a hard time, I kind of I reach to Tara. Um, so I would say she has been and Pema. Those are two right. teachers of mine. Awesome. Okay. And my second question is about emotions. How are your emotions? How do you deal with your emotions differently as a res- as a result of? your mindfulness practice? Well, this is a good question. I I do a lot of digging about what I'm feeling and it's usually never one thing. It's usually many things. And so there's a term in emotional intelligence or neuroscience, which is, well, it's feel it to heal it. Mm-hmm. And So there's the feeling of it. And then there's the naming of it, name it to tame it. So I, I, I do both. I focus on what it is and, and feeling it, you know, in my body, like, where is it tracking it somatically? Yeah, that's great. Feel it to heal it, name it to tame it. Yes. Yeah. That's, those are both very powerful. My third question um, is about breathing. And what can you share with us about breathing that is uh, maybe part of your mindfulness practice? One of the things that I, I teach and that I practice is what I call pattern interrupts. And a pattern interrupt, you know, it, it doesn't have to take a long time. And what I encourage people to do and what I do is three conscious breaths throughout my day mm-hmm. if I can remember to but that shifts the game three conscious breaths when I have more time I do other practices I mean breath is huge for me um, just really calming down using kind of the the Andrew Weil is the four seven eight four four inhale seven hold eight exhale right eight right your book river logic tools to transform resistance and create flow in all of your relationships is a book that's making a great impact and uh, i know it will even more because it's just recently come out and so 2023 is going to be a great year for that book i'm sure of it but what other book would you recommend that can help people with mindfulness I have quite a list. Um, well, one of the books that I, I use almost like a Bible, it's called How to Meditate by Pema Children. Mm-hmm. And it's really detailed. I mean, you know, in terms of talking about emotions, talking about triggers, and it's 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 not simple. It's, I mean, for somebody I've been on the path for quite a long time, as I said, it's still my Bible. Um, I am really interested in my nervous system. So I have started, it's more science oriented for people who would be more interested in really exploring and befriending their nervous system. It's called Anchored um, by Deborah Dana. Okay. 
And I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. How to befriend your nervous system is the subtitle. You know, a lot of what I've been studying is water. And I read, um, I've read and reread the book by Wallace Nichols called Blue Mind. Okay. And he really, he really talks about how water becomes a meditative state, which right. is why we're often drawn to it. So those are three books. Awesome. Well, we'll put those in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And my last question is about um, any apps. Are there any apps that you use or that you recommend that can help with mindfulness? Well, I'm not so much, I haven't really done the app world. As I said, I listened to Tara Brock, her her daily meditation class is the my my go-to. Um and is that on an app? Yeah, I mean you can uh, wherever you get well it's a podcast so wherever right. you get your podcasts um sure whether it's Spotify or Apple. Mhm. Sure. Yeah, she's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, as we wrap up the interview, I just want to know if you have any final words of advice for our listeners, Denise. Well, the main the main thing I think is that all of this is a practice. And we as humans have endless opportunity to practice. And I don't know if I have a chance to share. It's just like a probably a minute little. You definitely do. Yeah. So I tell this story in my book of um, it's it's a very famous story called Empty Your Cup. But it's a professor who goes to a Zen teacher. And this is like in the 16th century. And he wants to learn Zen. Actually, I think it's the 13th century. He wants to learn Zen. And every time the Zen master starts talking, the professor goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do that, you know, in um, our culture as well. And the Zen master decides to um, pour a cup of tea for the professor. And he takes the cup and he starts pouring and he keeps pouring and pouring. And the the professor says, stop, stop. My cup is already full. And the Zen master then says, yes. And I cannot teach you Zen unless you learn to empty your cup. And I think that's kind of what we all need to do. We need to, to actually be with each other. We need to empty our cup. So that we can actually hear each other and see each other and feel each other. Very true. I love that story and a beautiful way to finish up. Thank you for all the, the work you're doing and what you're bringing to the world and how you're sharing and helping people be better leaders and communicators. And thank you for being on Mindfulness Mode. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bruce. Totally my pleasure. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, fun for me too. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being a listener and for subscribing to Mindfulness Mode. I want to thank one of my sponsors, Athletic Greens, and they have a product called AG1 that I take on a regular basis. And it really is, well, let me tell you a little bit more about why I think this is such a great product. It contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, 
whole food sourced ingredients and probiotics. And whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free, however you eat, this will work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial ingredients, and it supports better sleep and better alertness. So Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science, and it costs less than $3 a day. And so those are some of the reasons why I really appreciate this product. And you will, uh, maybe if you look around online, you'll notice that they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. And they're trusted by people like Tim Ferriss and so many other podcasters and and, uh, online entrepreneurs. So here's a special offer for you, Mindful Tribe. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mindfulness. athleticgreens.com slash mindfulness. And this is an affiliate link. This partner is an affiliate partner. So I just want to mention that I really appreciate Athletic Greens and what a terrific product it is. Mindful Tribe, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.